Chapter 10 of Travel Stories Retold from St. Nicholas by Various. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10 Lost Reims by Louise Eugenie Pickett. Reims, which has been on fire for a week, is now nothing but a great pile of smoking ruins. I read in the paper of the man who sat next to me in the subway. With a sick heart, I read on, there are no traces of streets and thoroughfares which have disappeared from view under the accumulation of debris. Ancient buildings in the Place Royale and the marketplace and the musician's house, which dates from the 16th century, have been reduced to dust and ashes. With a doubly sad heart, I read it, for to me it is more than an old French city that lies in ruins, since with it goes the picturesque and historic background of my early youth. It is the tragic passing of my city of dreams, for there I dreamed away eight happy years of girlhood. It is an enviable thing to live in an ancient city like Reims, till its history becomes a part of the texture of one's mind, till the background of that history hangs like a series of distinct pictures in one's thought, not to be effaced by anything that shall come afterwards. The streets of Reims, as they then stood, are photographed clearly on the retina of my mind's eye, and dominating all, as it did at my first sight of it, is the majestic shape of the cathedral. I enter again, in imagination, those beautiful portals, and feel myself a tiny figure, and young in the midst of hoary antiquity. The organ music surges through the building, the choir boys' voices soar above it. I see again the slanting fall of colored light across the wide gray floors, the soft blue smoke of the rising incense, the towering pillars, the vaulted roof, the dim vistas ending in the splendor of painted windows. Years and years of patient labor it took to rear this marvel. It represented the ideality of an age. It was, in fact, that ideality incarnate, left standing for all posterity to see and take inspiration from. It was at sunset one December day that I first entered Rance. It was to be my home for the next eight years, for my father had been appointed by the American government to be consul there. How eagerly, I remember, we looked out of the train window as we approached the city. Long before the town itself became distinct to our eyes, we could plainly see the cathedral, a superb silhouette, imposing and not to be forgotten. It was like one's first view of the ocean, or the mountains, or the desert. That night we slept opposite the cathedral in the 18th century Hôtel Lyon d'Or, I recollect the thrill of excitement my sister and I felt as the big bus rattled into the courtyard of that quaint hostelry, and agile valets in yellow and black striped waistcoats ran to open the door for us. We felt that we were at last to live a storybook life of adventure and romance. The deep-toned bells of the cathedral awakened us at dawn, and in the pale light we rushed to the windows to look out on the sculptured façade of the wonderful building in order that we might feel again the strange charm that had so wrought upon us at our first sight of it. In the open square before us a valiant figure caught our attention, a figure of bronze that sat upon a spirited charger and held aloft a spear, Jean d'Arc. 
before the cathedral that had witnessed her brief hour of glory. The story we knew well, but shape and color it had never had before. The centuries before ours had been hardly more to us than Arabian Nights' tales, yet here was the visible evidence of the mighty procession of people who had existed before our day. We could not take the shortest walk in the city without being reminded of the dim perspective of history stretching far back of our youth, for here it was written in tangible and enduring stone. At the rear of the Hôtel Lyon d'Or we could see the old hotel of the sign of the Maison Rouge, where the father and mother of Jean d'Arc were housed at the time of the crowning of the Dauphin. We could walk over the cobblestone of the narrow Rue de Tambour, which was once, so history says, one of the largest and most frequented of the streets of Reims. We could look up at the Maison des Musiciens, so old a building that no one knows for what it was originally built. On its quaint façade, how often we curiously examined the broken figures of the sculptured musicians, for this was the street down which the royal processions passed on their way to the coronation at the cathedral. The soldiers in the vanguard had struck and broken the statues with their spears to make way for the banners and pennants of the brilliant cavalcade. How full of color and splendor the street must have appeared then! But that was all past, and the musicians, in our time, looked down only upon market women trundling their wares through to the marketplace beyond. The old building, nevertheless, still served to recreate, in the fancy of two wondering girls, those stately yesterdays. In the Rue Carnot, how often we paused to glance up at a curious archway supporting two round towers. Old, very old, it looked and no wonder, for it dated from the Middle Ages. Under the arch we could catch a glimpse of the walls of the cathedral, grey as frost, and the prison, with beggars sitting in its grim shadow. How the past centuries peered out at us from every corner, showing in quaint portals, such as the one on the school of the Petit Lycée, with bas-reliefs of a laughing child on one side, and a crying one on the other, known to the bons enfants since the beginning of the school as jean Quiry et jean qui pleure or that of the old house of the la salle family in the rue de l'arvalette with its life-size figures of adam and eve to guard the entrance when we walked down the rue cerise we passed the houses where louis the fourteenth's famous minister colbert was born and often pictured him coming out of the wide doorway the courtly velvet-clad figure that the portrait of him in the art museum had made familiar to our minds for many a trip we made to the hotel de ville to see the paintings and the wonderful illuminated books in the library and the beautiful old building itself we would often stop, I remember, to read the list of marriages posted in the vestibule, the Maries, the Yvonnes, and the Marguerites, the Jeans, the Marcels, and Pierres, who were to live happily ever after, or so we confidently believed. Several years later, the elder sister came with her lover to read shyly her own, for the old and dignified Salle de Mariage was to be the background of her romance, too. We had read Dumas, and Anne of Austria, as everyone knows, figures largely in his tales. 
but that she was more real than d'artagnan we had hardly conceived until one day we stood before the seventeenth-century house in the rue de l'université which once had the honor of sheltering her it belonged to jean melefeu and he has left an account of the visit in quaintly spelled old french which we were fortunate enough to have chance to read he was very proud of the magnificence of his dwelling and spread his luxury before us as a peacock might spread his gorgeous tail for humbler birds to admire it was fit for a queen he felt and lo she was coming he describes exultantly the sound of the trumpets that signalized the consequential arrival of royalty tatara 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 que d'honneurs qui vont tomber sur mes faibles épaules what honors to fall upon my poor shoulders the pride of the seventeenth century how laughably like it is to that of the twentieth the queen as she entered jestingly said the house is my own yes grande princesse you are right responded its owner quickly at the same time the marshal du plessis asked of him monsieur are you the master of this house monsieur replied the gallant gentleman of rance bowing with a grand air i make no doubt monsieur i was but a moment ago but when the sun appears the stars are eclipsed in the rue de la grue we searched out the house where was born tronson de coudray an eloquent lawyer of the paris parliament and the courageous defender of marie antoinette with all our young enthusiasm we loved him as the champion of the ill-fated queen the porte de paris the great iron gateway in Reims, the guide-books told us was a triumph of the smith's art but it held our imaginations in thrall because it had been built in honour of the crowning of louis the sixteenth and marie antoinette somewhere we had found an account of the coronation and read how joyously they had entered the city and how in the cathedral in the midst of the acclamations and applause so loud and prolonged that they covered the sound of the bells and the noise of the cannon the gracieuse marie antoinette had fainted and thus elle a perdu quelques instants de plus beau jour de sa vie she had lost some moments of the most beautiful day of her life we loved to imagine her against the background of that rich interior of the cathedral the light through its glowing windows touching with iridescence the tall gray pillars the royal pennants and draperies bright tones against the sombre hues of the marvellous tapestries gold flashing here and there from tall candlesticks and brilliant uniforms wonderful gems catching fire from the great arched windows that seemed in the brightness of the sun to be themselves made of rival jewels a splendid setting for the most beautiful day of her life the height the space the gloom the glory how they typified that life the porte de paris too was eloquent of the fierce days of the revolution the people of reims tell how the mob one day came surging toward it when the ringleaders proposed that they destroy the gilded crown upon its apex as the symbol of hated royalty then the mayor a man of tactful resource called to the most furious of the band and asked if he had a ten-sous piece at his service 
the man readily passed it to him whereupon the mayor at once gave it to a beggar standing near take it said he monsieur will have nothing with the crown upon it everyone laughed and the crown on the gate was saved under the wide arch of the porte de paris victorious napoleon entered after the prussian occupation of the city in eighteen fourteen it was already nightfall when the fierce battle was fought and not until eleven o'clock was napoleon able to enter the city what an ovation he received from the rejoicing citizens the remois it thrilled us to read it all at once the great bells of the cathedral thundered forth a welcome while at the same time every window in the town was lighted and a great cry of vive l'empereur rang from end to end of the city the house in the rue de vesle where he slept that night is an old acquaintance if the porte de paris seemed old to us and eloquent of the past what was to be said of the grey old arch known as the porte de mar that dated before christ and spoke aloud for future times to hear of the triumphs of great caesar and of the gallo-roman days and what of the market-place which was once we were told the roman forum even in our time though all traces of the forum were gone the market-place was an ancient-looking square edged as it was with quaint old buildings among them notably an elaborately carved wooden house one of the most curious specimens of fifteenth-century art nearby was the old church of st jacques often we used to steal in to rest awhile in its rainbow-coloured twilight not as imposing as the cathedral but very lovely nevertheless it was one of the relics of the twelfth century the cathedral st jacques and the old abbey church of st remy they have formed for us the beautiful and impressive backgrounds of many a wedding and funeral and quaint religious service many a time we have threaded the queer old streets of rats with their queer old names the rue de la clef street of the quay the rue des deux anges street of the two angels the rue des trois raisinets street of the three little grapes the maison des quatre chagrinlantes house of the four grinning cats the auberge du lapin grand tavern of the fat rabbit curious old buildings of the middle ages we pass them by in our youth but we shall carry the memory of them into our old age how tranquil the city used to seem to us then too quiet sometimes a drowsy old town we said sitting like venerable age sleeping in the sun how little we dreamed what a cruel awakening was in store for it that horror and terror were to stalk through all those peaceful streets and leave their dreadful scars behind End of chapter ten